In order to ensure that transgender and gender expansive students have a safe and supportive learning environment, state education officials released a framework in June addressing bullying, harassment, discrimination, and privacy issues, which was informed by impacted students in New York schools. For more on the legal updates and best practices disseminated from the State Education Department, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Kathleen D. Cataldo, Assistant Commissioner of Student Support Services. Welcome to the show, Kathleen. Hey, thank you. So what are some of the biggest changes for some educators and districts that are going to be implementing this framework compared to what they might be doing now? The new framework reflects changes in New York State human rights law and federal law which provide enhanced protections to transgender and gender expansive students. So, you know, that we started with that because we thought it was really important for schools to understand that there are laws that require them to take certain actions with regard to their transgender and gender expansive students. We also, right after the legal update, lead with a lot of the research and data with regard to transgender and gender expansive students, because we want schools to understand how critically important it is for them to provide a safe, welcoming, and supportive environment for these students. Well, what can that look like? There's lots of things, right? So most importantly, and and you can see throughout the comments by students in, in the framework, so we reached out to young people across New York State to ask them about their experience in schools and whether they felt they were being supported. And their comments are telling. In many respects, they're like, you know, my my teachers have been great and have been really supportive of me. But some of the things like having a gender neutral bathroom that's easily accessible continues to be an issue for students, although there are laws that require that those be provided. Having students called by their affirmed name in all respects, in all different settings, continues to be an issue. We're hoping that the guidance and the extensive resources that we provide in the, in the framework document actually helps schools to provide the professional development that they need to provide to all school staff so that they are ready to talk to a young person who may come to them and say that, you know, I would like to be called by a different name and use different pronouns, and and this is why. Well, you mentioned that outreach that students might make to educators, and I think there's a general acceptance that some students might come out to their teachers prior to their parents. What, if anything, is the State Education Department recommending that school officials do when students may have notified teachers about their gender fluidity or their sexual preference, and maybe they haven't spoken with their parents about this? We try to be very clear that this this is a case-by-case determination for schools, and it's not easy. We also try to make that very clear, too. The changes to the New York State human rights law make it very clear that they have to honor that young person's request to be called by their affirmed name and pronouns. Um, there's there's no question about the what what the legal requirements are now, but how how does that play out in a school building? That that's really the issue. What we recommend is that you know first of all, schools provide professional development because it might be a trusted teacher that a student first comes to to say you know 
this is what I'm thinking. And that, you know, all school staff, including folks in the cafeteria or our school bus drivers need to be aware of, you know, what the legal requirements are and how to respond because it, you know, they could be caught off guard that this young person trusts them enough. So how can they respond in a way that's supportive? And then what's the process in the school? Who should that young person be referred to? Oftentimes a school psychologist, school social worker, but those folks should be ready to have a conversation with the young person about who do they want to let know about their wanting to be called by a firm name. And and we talk about how some young people might feel only in a certain class, do they feel comfortable doing that? Or it may be just in the school. We are very clear that the school's response should be student-driven because that student knows best how they will feel safe. We recommend that schools work with the young person to build understanding about you know, what might happen if they come out just at school and don't let their parents know. We you know, ask schools to mediate if possible, if the student is willing to do that, bring the parent into the conversation and help determine what the plan is going to be for that young person transitioning in the school environment. And how does this latest guidance compare with what the State Education Department uh, released in the summer of 2015 on the topics of gender and sexuality in schools? Well, I think the most important part about it is that it's a legal update. It's not guidance. We we joke in my office, guidance is an invitation to best practice, um, but is not enforceable, which is why we, you know, start with the changes in laws and try to make very clear where the schools have legal obligations. So that's one of the biggest things. The other part of it is, is that this is student driven. And although I had an advisory group that we reconvened for this second framework development were amazing and great and and folks with lived experience and amazingly helpful. It was really that outreach to students um, and hearing about their experiences in New York State schools, you know, in, in 2023, that really focused this framework and really gave all of us the passion to, to be as, as clear as possible. Well, as you point out, this framework is weightier than guidance. So what are the practical ramifications of actually overseeing the implementation of this then? Does state education department have additional tools to ensure that districts and educators are complying? Or will that still be up to students and other local people to hold districts accountable? So the process is at the local level. So the Dignity for All Students Act, that law has been in effect and has prohibited bullying, harassment, and discrimination based on a number of things. But in 2018, the Board of Regents uh, adopted um, changes to our commissioner's regulations that very clearly uh, talk about, you know, it would be a violation of the Dignity Act to deny a student, you know, accommodations such as, you know, having gender neutral bathroom or, you know, to allow that student to use the bathroom that aligns with their gender identity or, you know, locker rooms and so on. 
Um, so, so there is the Dignity Act, but those are complaints that are filed with the Dignity Act coordinator at the school district level. And then the appeal process is through the school, so to the superintendent, the school board, and then ultimately can be the basis of what we call a 310 appeal to the commissioner of education. But the, it's the changes in, in the human rights law that have the real teeth, right? So the our state human rights division can take complaints and do investigations and make findings and against um, school districts if they feel that the school district's actions violated the human rights law and then specifically gender. It's my understanding that the framework released by the state education department took effect immediately. So what has been the implementation like so far? Are you receiving at least anecdotal reports of compliance or non-compliance or people who are happy that these are being put in place or people who are angry that this is being put in place? Predominantly what we have heard has been amazingly supportive and really thanks from the field for being as clear as as the, the framework is um, and for specifically calling it a, a legal update so that it's very clear that there are laws that are supporting um, the actions that school districts need to take. We've, we've had great feedback um, and, and really some some great also press around this, you know, there's, there's always people that aren't happy with you, what you do regardless. Um, so we've got a little bit of pushback as well. But, you know, I would say predominantly, we've heard just great things from the field. Well, earlier, you mentioned the Dignity for All Students Act, which took effect a little over a decade ago. Now, how do you feel State Education Department is doing in terms of ensuring compliance with that measure? And all that it required, say, in terms of reporting incidents of discrimination and bullying, for example? So it's it's a work in progress and an area of concern for my office because we do oversee the the uh, Dignity Act in my office. So we you know, field complaints from parents and, and students and, you know, inquiries from from uh, school districts and and uh, Dignity Act coordinators from school. So. And we also collect the school safety and educational climate and review it here. And so we are looking at what we can do to increase um, compliance with the Dignity Act reporting. We've, we work with our Center for School Safety. Uh, we created a, a new training last fall, which, you know, took people back to the beginnings of the Dignity Act and what does it really require? Um, we're constantly talking about, you know, it, it's not a series of check boxes. It, it is something that requires schools to be thinking from prevention. How are we in our school community talking about things like bullying and harassment and discrimination? And how are we building that culture and climate where all students feel safe and supported. And if they don't, they understand that there is a way that they can go and talk to someone about what's happening and, and then feel supported and safe as a result of having done that. And then, so the school district's requirements are, you know, to do an investigation, determine whether it was a material incident, and then try to ameliorate the issue, right? And that's, and that's one of the things we're really talking a lot about here is 
it's not about just suspending a student. And actually, the, if you go back to the language of the Dignity Act, it's pretty clear it's not about suspending a student. It is about really dealing with the issues and trying to come up with a resolution that prevents similar incidents from happening. If you just suspend a student and don't do anything to build some community, some, to build, to have that student understand the harm that they have created by the acts that they're taking, it's just gonna be exacerbated when that student comes back and comes into the same classroom. And you know, the student that was, that was bullied is still there. We're, we're really thinking and talking about how we can support schools to better, you know, really take the steps to deal with the underlying issues. Um, and because that is what's going to ultimately build that really supportive school climate. Well, we've been speaking with Kathleen DiCataldo, Assistant Commissioner of Student Support Services for the State Education Department. Kathleen, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Hey, thank you. And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.